Hi, listeners. You can now listen to this community podcast production ad-free on Apple Podcasts and access the podcast one week early and get exclusive bonus content. Just hit the subscribe button now on Apple Podcasts. Or if you want access to all of the above, plus video versions of the podcast, head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. On the morning of August 1st, 1966, shots ring out from the observation deck of the clock tower on the University of Texas campus. It marks the infamous beginning of the modern era of mass shootings in America. I'm Sarah Ferris, true crime podcaster. And I'm Catherine Schweit, the former head of the FBI's active shooter program. And you're listening to Stop the Killing. Hello, lovely Stop the Killing listeners, or STK as I like to abbreviate it. Catherine and I are currently working on season three of Stop the Killing, but we've built such a fabulously supportive community of listeners over the last two seasons, we don't want to leave you with an STK-shaped hole in your podcast downloads. So we'll be adding in a series of episodes on the Thursday feed with listener questions, which is where you come in. We would love to hear your questions, so please message us at Stop the Killing Stories on Instagram or if Twitter is your jam, STK Podcasts. And in the meantime, if you want to stay abreast of when season three will be kicking off, then make sure to follow us on Instagram at Stop the Killing Stories. Or if you're one of our ever-growing Patreon supporters, you'll be the first to know and have early access to season three over on patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. Plus, of course, access to all the usual bonus content and ad-free episodes. And talking of ad-free episodes, trust me, I get ads can be super annoying. But if you're listening on the usual platforms with ads, please just remember by supporting our sponsors, it is one way that you can support the podcast. We really couldn't make the podcast without the support of those sponsors. And with all that admin out of the way, time for this week's episode. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Have you ever felt that pang of disappointment when you couldn't add a ticket to your collection because it was digital? Or maybe you just lost it. Well, Stubforge.com is here to change that. Imagine this. 
Tickets that not only look, but feel like the real deal. Because each ticket from Stubforge is printed on the same quality stock that Ticketmaster uses and printed with genuine ticket printers. It's like holding a piece of the concert, the game or the show right in your hands. But Stubforge isn't just about replacing tickets. With the easy-to-use interactive designer, you can create custom tickets for anything from concerts to sports games, pregnancy announcements or parties. Why not make your invitations stand out with tickets that are as unique as your event? And if you're trying to complete a back catalogue of missing tickets, Stubforge offers bulk discounts to make it both easy and affordable. With Stubforge, you can once more give your loved ones physical tickets and see their eyes light up instantly at the best gift you can give. So whether you're looking to reignite your ticket collection, craft the perfect gift, or send the coolest invites, head over to stubforge.com. Start creating today and see how Stubforge makes every ticket a story worth saving. Visit stubforge.com and start making tickets today. The first question we have actually comes from our ever-growing Patreon community, which segues me nicely into giving a big shout out to one of our newest members. So welcome to the team, Brittany Hayes. Now, just a heads up, this episode starts off a little bit like a decorating show, but don't worry, it does have a listener's question coming. Well, for this bonus episode, if you are a Patreon member, you'll actually be able to see this. We're looking at Catherine on the screen and you're actually in your office for a change. You never, ever do recordings from your office. It's very cool in there. Describe what is behind you on that wall. Well, this is my little hideaway where all my notes are and where I do all my writing and research and consultations for clients and things like that. But I never do this publicly. I have behind me of course, important things like my law degree yeah. and my undergraduate degree and my Supreme Court law license. And this is the Attorney General Award I won for the work that I did on active shooters. So that, that is really very cool. cool. So that means a lot to me because it's an award for community service. So it's, it's nice. Aww. I mean, because it means something to me for that. This is my bootleg FBI park in the building for free. It's is that like, fake? No, it's real. Is it? I thought it's it was one real. of those things you might buy when you're going through Quantico's gift shop. <laughs> no, it's real. If found, please return too. <laughs> but uh, it's it's that. old style. They don't issue these anymore. It's but, very cool um, color, but also very sort of sepia toned. Yeah, mm. yeah, and exactly. you've even got your shirt on there that looks like it's got an emblem on it. Yeah, you know, it's kind of beginning to end. This is my academy shirt. When you're at the FBI Academy in your last weeks, your whole class gets a shirt, you pick out a shirt that costs too much you can't afford. And then you have <laughs> and then you have the city where you're going to be assigned embroidered into the shirt. And so I was assigned in my first office to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. So Roll on Wisconsin. That's yeah, what I always exactly. think of. <laughs> and so Milwaukee, Wisconsin was my first, or as they would say, Wisconsin was my first office. So this is my Milwaukee shirt. This is the shirt that I had when I graduated from the FBI Academy, which is kind of fun for me. And then behind me Mm. are the credentials they handed me when I left the FBI 20 years later. Did they give it to you mounted like that? Or did you get that mounted yourself? No, they give it to you when you leave. These are my actual credentials. Um, That you would have flipped out when you were arresting people. FBI. I did that many a time. FBI. I need to talk to you. So these are my actual credentials. And then they don't want anybody tearing them off the bin. So 
they put whole stamps in them, you know, like it's literally yeah. they put it in a machine and they stamp it with the, the word retired across it on both ends so that nobody can take them off the plaque and use them. And this is my badge that I carried for 20 years. That so that's kind of cool. So cool. Can you give us a Catherine Schwai FBI? Oh, I'd say, let me see. Free sucker. Give us something. <laughs> yes. Well, that's not, that's not what we'd want to say. We, I, I will say, <laughs> that's true. We try. I've watched to, too many movies, right? You have. We try not to be quite that, but we definitely. Free these are sucker. when you leave the FBI, they take your credentials, but they give you retired credentials. Oh, so you can still flip it out if you wanted. Mm-hmm. So I can say, "Hi, I'm here from the FBI. I need to talk to you." And um, they can't look close enough to say no. retired on it. Uh-uh. Oh well, these well, are pretty obvious. These have retired stamped right on them. But yeah, you do it like you're just standing there and all of a sudden you go, I need to talk to you. <gasps> but you're way too cool. Way too cool for me. It's very much like you got to be real subtle about it. You got to be ready to open them up. And then you say, I need to talk to you. Can we go over here? I would absolutely crap my pants if somebody did that to me. I'm not joking. <laughs> if somebody flipped out their FBI card well, on me. I will say that's why it's a cool job. So, yeah. What? Lots of people yeah. crap in the pants. Hey, um, <laughs> I feel like I should return the favor now and describe the back of my office for Please you. Please do. Please yeah. So for the people that are on Patreon that can actually see my my beautiful office, on my wall, I have an orchid. <laughs> That's it. And uh, lovely. Uh, and a jar of matches with the letter S on it. So I think I might need to up my office game, right? <laughs> Maybe just a little bit. It's very enlightening about how colorful you are. Well, we've really had quite the segue to get started on this one. So we've got some listener questions that we're going to play into our bonus episodes on Tuesdays. I'm just going to throw them at you. And if you've got a question that you would like Catherine to answer, don't worry, I'm not going to answer them. We're putting them straight to Catherine. Then you can either go onto our Instagram, Stop the Killing Stories. You can message us any which way on katherineschweit.com. She's got her own .com. That's pretty fancy. Or at Community Podcast if you want to come through me. Either way, find us. The first question comes from Carolyn. Carolyn. Hello, Carolyn. Hello, Carolyn, who is one of our fabulous Patreon supporters. So the question that she has is related to the Oxford episodes that we did earlier in season two. Mm-hmm. So episode two, three, and four, I think, of season two, you can go back and listen to. So her question is, the past two episodes on the shooting at Oxford were personal to me. I could not understand how the school let the student go back to the class on his own after the meeting with the parents. And it wasn't until I had my own experience of reporting something where I questioned what happens after educators say something. And is it possible that there is not a process that is followed? It's difficult as an educator to report something that you think is significant, go through the documentation process, then have the same student back in your classroom the next day at school. So, I mean, that's something, Catherine, that we've heard quite a lot. People think when they report things that there isn't a process in place. So I think what I hear in her comments is frustration because she is practical and boots on the ground, as we would say, and gets the information out there when there's a concern and feels like it just goes off into the atmosphere, never to be heard from again. And a child is back in her classroom. And actually, you probably can't have many conversations with teachers without finding out that exact problem exists. So a couple of things. First, 
schools have always had this problem, right? To some extent. I mean, we definitely have changed the rules over the decades in terms of discipline and what's allowed. And, you know, I'm a product of the Catholic schools. It's a wonder I even have fingertips. Certainly, we've kind of changed the rules somewhat on discipline. And remember, in the United States, school is mandatory. So schools must take all children who come, right? So then it's incumbent on schools to have a system in place. But a lot of times that system in place is maybe one counselor who's dealing with 300 kids. I mean, it is literally just her fear realized. A lot of times schools don't have in place something to monitor, maintain, manage students year to year or week to week or month to month, even though they have the structure there, right? But there's not like a necessarily a, an assigned group of people or per- persons who really have the capability to manage everybody. And that group of people is a threat assessment team. So though some schools have threat assessment teams in some versions, they generally deal with the most extraordinary situations, you know, and until somebody snaps, until somebody breaks, until somebody has a traumatic event at home, what happens is that the school officials are generally reactive. There is not as much proactive. Some schools are better at it, right? But most schools, truthfully, 50 million people in the United States in schools and more across the world, you know, most schools have to be reactive. They're focused on educating and they just react when they see something that is amiss with regard to a student. And as a teacher, it is a concern because the child is not in your presence the whole time. You know, you don't have a check-in with that child every day to know, is he getting worse? Is he getting better? Is he getting control? Is he getting help? And I think that that's a legitimate concern that I don't really have a great answer to. I think there's a foundation for her fears. And I would urge that teacher to work with her school board, which is maybe out of her chain of command, but to say, hey, we need to have a threat assessment team set up. We need to have threat assessment teams, not just in the district, but one for each school so that that group of people and, you know, better mental health support overall better school counselors support, better funding for school counselors. Sometimes we see situations where, and I don't mean sometimes like it's unusual, I'm saying it's more usual that you may have counselors in a school, for instance, in an elementary school, you know, five elementary schools in the district, and they have a counselor that goes to a school each day. How's that counselor really able to do that job? All they're doing is a little bit of reactive work, hoping that no boulders are rolling off the table. So yeah. I mean, we definitely need a better system uh, and we need persistent insistence that we develop a better system to provide proactive support for students, not just because it benefits the students, but because it benefits the teacher. I mean, I know teachers who have a problem student, you know, who's disruptive to the whole classroom. And two days later, that student is back in the classroom. And then three days later, after another suspension, that student is back in the classroom. Mm. that makes teachers want to leave the business and also prevents all the other students in that classroom from leaving. And to Carolyn's point, it sounds like there isn't necessarily a standardized process in schools. If you were going into a school, what advice would you say to a teacher or the school itself? How would you set it up from ground zero? Where would you find those processes? I know you've got a whole chapter on threat assessment in your book, haven't you? Yeah, actually, I have a whole chapter on threat assessment and another whole chapter on threat management, meaning how they manage the threats. There's like three successive chapters, what to look for and how to report it and to whom. And that part of how to report it and to whom, 
depends on the fact that there is a threat assessment team or an anonymous reporting system. I think there are some components that I think I would say, look for these things. Does your school have a way for people to make anonymous reporting, whether that's through the state, through all the anonymous reporting systems that are available, uh, including law enforcement, FBI? But then does the school have a way to capture that information? And that would be through a threat assessment team. Does the district have a threat assessment team? Ask the district. What is the threat assessment team? How often do they meet? What do they do? And if you want to start that, there's a tremendous amount of information that's available, you know, in my book online for free. You know, we talk about it on the podcast all the time. What are the pieces of a threat assessment team? It's not a complicated puzzle, but it's a puzzle, you know, even if it has 15 pieces, it's a puzzle that a lot of people don't put together because they don't find out who the mental health resources are in the county, find out who the law enforcement is that needs to be affiliated with them, find out what the disciplinary rules are in school, find out what the systems are to allow alternate training for a student, the social service organizations that provide support for students, support for parents. So the pieces are out there, but you may not know what those resources are. And if it means that you as a teacher have to engage external resources at the county mental health office because the school district doesn't, then engage the school district and the county mental health at the same time and say, I'm concerned about this. And you know what we say in our business, we elevate it, elevate it to another level. Because a lot of times you're saying, well, I can't do anything because the people in my level, maybe I'm the teacher and the principal says we can't do anything about it. You know what? You loop your teacher in and you elevate it to the school board level, elevate it. And if you could point to a resource just to pull a template of how to really start nuts and bolts from the ground that you would go, right, serve it up on a platter, what would it be? You know, I don't want to make anybody have to buy my book, although I'm working on a soft covered book, so it'll be less expensive. But one of the things that I did in the book is I actually identified some of the resources. I don't want to plug any particular resource because I think that it depends on what your school district wants to do. But there are good organizations that do threat assessment. And it's not so much a plug and play on a policy, but it's it, it's definitely plug and play on here are the people that need to be on your threat assessment team. And in fact, your state may mandate school threat assessment teams. They do in the United States, the state of Virginia, the state of Illinois, the state of Connecticut are three that I can just think of. And those states have mandatory threat assessment requirements for, st- for schools. And because of that, the state statutes themselves say, this is what should be on a threat assessment team. Mm. So look to see if your state has a mandated requirement. And if they don't, tap one of your legislators and ask them to use templates from Connecticut and Illinois and Virginia to require threat assessment teams in your state. Mm. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What would you say specifically to a point that Karen has made in there 
difficult as an educator to report something that you think is significant and then go through the documentation process. So say she's even got the threat assessment team in place and she's escalated it, as you say, Mm -hmm. and then she's still got that same student coming back into her classroom the next day. What would you say to her to do? Carolyn, I think that part of that frustration of the student coming back into your classroom is make sure that you understand what the criteria is for why that student is allowed to come back in. What is the cutoff? What are the limits that the school board or a threat assessment team or the police department has or the mental health officials have on in terms of being able to have a child removed from the school? And also remember that, you know, removing a child from the school doesn't necessarily take a threat away. When somebody gets information, what is the process And when is that process going to result in that student complaint being kicked back out and that student showing up in your classroom? So you know when you're writing paperwork, I think it's important to continue to document because even though you're frustrated if a student comes back to your classroom, I think it's important that you document it so that the next time, if there's another problem, we know, hey, this happened before. That's frustrating, I know, as a teacher, but I'll say that's, you know, what we do in law enforcement, too. We go to somebody's house, and they're disruptive, but we can't really do anything about it, but we make a documentation of it, and then the next time somebody goes to the house, they say, hey, we've already had domestic problems at this house, so we want to elevate this, make this more of a concern, you know, and then we go back a third time, and we're like, buddy, this isn't working. You know, whatever's going on here, this is our third time here in a month, so When you document something, even if that student comes back, it is valuable to document it. So don't decide no one's going to do anything about this, so I'm not going to document it. Because the threat assessment team needs the information from the reported incidents that maybe don't elevate to kicking somebody out of school in order to decide whether or not in the future they have to kick somebody out of school. Mm. And I think we've seen that in cases that we've covered, haven't we, in school shooting incidents where the child has moved on from perhaps like a junior school to a middle school or a middle school to a high school. And the information that was not passed on uh, that could have been documented wasn't there as like a whole parcel for the next group of teachers to look at. Yeah, I think the Virginia Tech shooting is a good example of that. Here we have a terrible shooting that occurs on a campus in Virginia, not too far away from me. The shooter lived half a mile from my house and he had gone to the same high school as my kids went to. He had problems in the school. There was no state law that required the school to pass that information along the university. And in fact, they thought they were kind of prohibited from doing it, right? And Mm -hmm. so then Virginia Tech occurs, so many people are killed and injured, and the state laws in Virginia change to say, hey, you must set up threat assessment teams. You must report information from elementary school to middle school, middle school to high school, high school to colleges, universities. So, you know, we learn those lessons the hard way. Please document, even if you're frustrated about it. But I think it would be helpful, Carolyn, if you knew why that child is back in your classroom, because there are competing state laws about mandatory training, mandatory education for students, privacy issues, when there's no charges, you know, filed, and maybe look at some other ways that encourage the expanse beyond whether a child walks into your classroom to say, what's going on in that kid's house? Can that kid get conversations with other people at the school to see whether or not there are ways to disrupt the behavior that is causing a problem.
Thanks for listening. And if you want to know more, Catherine's book, Stop the Killing, is out now. For more details, go to katherineschweit.com. Please consider also supporting our independently made podcast. It's simple to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing. And for as little as the price of a latte a month, you can be part of the solution to stop the killing. Patreon rewards range from official do-gooder status to ad-free episodes, autographed books, and opportunities to connect with us directly for your business, school, church, or even just a book club chat. But just knowing that you are part of a movement that has the power to make your community safer, well, that's got to taste better than a skinny cappuccino any day. So please head to patreon.com forward slash stop the killing now and polish off your do-gooder halo and make sure to include your name so we can give you a shout out. This podcast is a community podcast production. That's con with an N. If you want more content, then head over to community podcast at Instagram, where you'll find trailers on more binge-worthy true crime, like the award-winning podcast Conning the Con. And check out our show notes for all the links mentioned. Finally, if you want one takeaway action that you can do right now that can help make our community safer, Please share, rate and review this podcast wherever you listen. Everybody needs to know that they hold the keys to see something and say something. Together, we can stop the killing. It's one of those things you hope never happens, but you better train for it. Because it will happen. And it will happen in places you wouldn't expect. Be ready for it. The truth about the Haditha massacre has been covered up, but not anymore. I know you know what happened. They went into houses and killed women and children. What are you thinking? What a mess. U.S. Marines murdered innocent civilians in cold blood. And at the center of it all is 25-year-old Sergeant Frank Wooderick. And me. Murder in House 2. A new podcast from Crowd Network. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. Together we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loop Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.